Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. That's right, that's right. It is another edition here of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And as you can hear from my nasally voice, I am feeling a little bit under the weather with a cold right now, but I'm still doing everything I can to get you guys this podcast. I'm not calling in sick. Unfortunately for all us St. John's fans, the Red Storm probably wish that they called in sick for this game as uh, it's a very somber night for all of the Red Storm fans and the Red Storm players and Coach Mike Anderson as well. And maybe a night to kind of recheck or uh, reevaluate expectations or a reality check, as you may say, for the Red Storm tonight as they go into our nation's capital and put forth a really really tough and somewhat embarrassing effort tonight, or you can call it an embarrassing effort, I would say, an 87-66 to 66 loss against the Georgetown Hoyas. If you weren't watching, you really didn't miss much. This game was over, really, I would say, in the first eight or nine minutes. The Red Storm fell behind by as many as 29 in the first half, trailed 53-26 to 26 at halftime in what I tweeted out was, was the worst half of St. John's basketball that I've seen in my lifetime worse than anything in the uh, in the 117 Chris Mullen first year uh, as head coach of the Red Storm and to be honest feels like we're kind of trending toward that direction a little bit uh, not to overreact but it feels like we're, we're trending that way a little bit with the performance tonight at least uh, give the Red Storm credit they did fight back a little bit in the second half I think that they got it down to to 13 or 14 at points in the uh, in the second half but Never really made it a game. This game was was double figures at least, and really in the 20s for a majority of the second half against a Georgetown team that in each of their first two games, albeit on the road against tough competition, but in each of their first two games was just blown out of the water by Providence and then by Seton Hall. Uh, St. John's then comes to the uh, Verizon Center, whatever it's called now, and just it's been a house of horrors for them really every single year aside from last year, and that proves to be the case again for the Red Storm. They just get blown out of the building here. And like I said, it, it might be time now. This might be a little bit of a reality check for the Red Storm. Uh, for a season that we came in with really, really low expectations, expecting a lower half, you know, a lower, you know, two or three finish in the Big East to our expectations were obviously, you know, rightfully raised uh, up to, you know, maybe an NCAA tournament bid, looking at the the wins in non-conference play against West Virginia, who looks like a top 15 team, and against Arizona, who's going to be a top 25 team most of the year. The expectations were rightfully raised, but I think now as we enter Big East play, they're starting to come really crashing back down to earth now uh, with this 0-3 start and with this blowout loss on the road against a Georgetown team that is is not that good against a Georgetown team that's lost some of its key pieces early this season. I know that they played a little bit better to end non-conference play, but at the end of the day, this is not a very good uh, Georgetown team that just ran St. John's out of the building. And some of the issues for St. John's, you wonder how they're going to be corrected. The biggest issue that I, I saw in this game, and I think that we all saw in this game, was once again the uh, the outside shooting, the perimeter shooting for St. John's. 
I think that the Red Storm made eight field goals in the entire first half. Uh, They were almost outscored by Mac McClung in the first half alone. The Red Storm, again, shoots 6 of 25 from three-point range. That's 24% for those of you calculating at home. I believe in the first half they went like 2 of 13 or something. So the three-point shooting, the perimeter shooting for St. John's has been an absolute disaster so far in in non-conference play. They made six in this game. LJ made four of them, and he only shot four of 11. So the rest of the team shot two of 14 from three-point range. And again, you're just not going to win very many, any, any, any college basketball games at this stage of the, of the, of where college basketball is at. You're not going to win very many college basketball games when you shoot 24% from three point range. And when you open a game shooting, whatever it was, two of 13 or two of 14 from three point range, when you really have no threat to even make a shot on the perimeter, you're just not going to win many college basketball games in general, many Big East games in general and many Big East games on the road. And that's what we're seeing for St. John's right now. LJ Figueroa. I, I, I said this if you listen to my Periscope after the Xavier game. It all goes back to LJ Figueroa and Mustafa Heron because we knew that the rest of this of this lineup was not going to be much of a factor from three-point range and really from the, on the perimeter in general. Julian Champagny, I, I hate to say it, he's gone through a little bit of a freshman slump here. He's dis, he's really disappeared the last couple of games in Biggie's play. He's really disappeared. So outside of Champagny, you know, um, uh, Rutherford might hit some shots but you're not going to have too many guys that are threats from three-point range or from just shooting on the perimeter in general. You need Figueroa and Heron to step up and hit shots. And again, in this game, they go four of 16 from three-point range. And a lot of those were from LJ, uh, just heaving shots in the second half when they were trying to make a comeback. So overall, and overall, LJ and Mustafa shoot 10 of 23, uh, 10 of 33, sorry, from three-point range. That's not going to get it done when your two best players just cannot hit a shot. And what I don't understand in that first half for the Red Storm was that the ball just never even came close to getting inside. For a team that had struggled so much in Big East play so far, and really so much against every good opponent that they've played this season, every quality opponent, West Virginia, Arizona, Butler, Xavier, coming into this game, you knew, even Vermont, you knew they were not going to shoot the ball well from three-point range or from the perimeter because they hadn't shot the ball well against any of those schools. Why was the ball so focused on the perimeter in that first half? Now, Georgetown, give them credit. They played good defense, I feel like. They denied the ball from the paint a little bit, I feel like. But you've got to make an effort at least to get it inside to the big guys and try to work the ball inside and try to attack the basket. Mustafa Heron, LJ, they both, uh, Figueroa and Heron attacked the basket two times in the first couple of minutes and then just stopped the rest of the first half and settled for jumpers. And when you have no one that is an outside threat, when you have no one that is a threat to hit a shot from the perimeter, teams can force you to stay on the perimeter. And St. John's was basically their offense in that first half was run outside of the three-point line. And when that happens, you're just not much of a threat. When you're a team that can't hit a shot from the outside and when you can't get it into the to the to the paint, you're not going to be much of a threat to do anything on offense. On the defensive end, it was more of the same from what we've seen all season long. What I didn't like is, is that Georgetown really had one guy. If you, if you don't want to count your seven, one guy, at least from the outside, that was going to hurt you, Mac McClung. And they let McClung score, I think, 20 points in the first half and shoot 7 of 17 from the field. And McClung got hot right away 
on them. He scored, what, 11 points in the first couple of minutes. They let him get into a rhythm right away. I didn't like that. And again, the three-point shooting comes back to kill them. Georgetown ends up only shooting 39%, 9 of 23 from the field. But overall, I mean, Georgetown, that was in the second half. They missed a couple of shots. I don't have their first half numbers, but they were wide open threes again. Again, the rotations were bad. Again, the closeouts were terrible. And these are now issues that we've seen in three consecutive Big East games. Wide open shots on the perimeter for the opponent. And you're not going to win any games like that. You're just not. And now you look at this season for St. John's, and I, I, I thought that this was really a must-win game for them. You know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes now, but I really thought that they needed to get this win to keep this season from snowballing. And now the next game against DePaul obviously becomes all that important because you really can't get off to an 0-4 start, especially now that Providence, who we thought was going to be a cupcake game, really, or as close a thing to it in the Big East, Providence is now 3-0, so that's the furthest thing from a cupcake. And you've just dropped the game to Georgetown now, who had gotten blown out its first two games. You know, we, we talked about Georgetown's lack of depth. Georgetown only plays really seven guys. That didn't even factor into this game because St. John's was down by 30 in the first half. So Georgetown, St. John's made a run in the second half. Maybe Georgetown did get a little bit tired or, or kind of you know, lose their focus a little bit. And St. John's made the run. The only problem was the run, the lead went down from 28 to 15 when St. John's made that run. It didn't do much to get them back into the game. It just made the final score more respectable. But, but looking at this season now as a whole, like I said, I think it's a bit of a reality check because I think that... Georgetown is going to be one of those teams that's in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range in the Big East. And they just ran St. John's off the court. And I know it's a road game. And I know it's a relatively quick turnaround just having to play on Sunday when the Hoyas played on Friday night. So they had a little bit more rest. I know that. But at the end of the day, I think that this is a little bit more of a reality check now for the Red Storm. That the, the predictions of, you know, nine wins in the conference or eight wins in the conference, maybe they were a little bit overzealous. And I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. You guys know I'm a fan of this program more than anything else. So if, if, if this program wins nine games in the conference or eight games in the conference and I look like an idiot coming here saying this on, on January 8th, two months from now, if, if someone plays this back and I look stupid, but it means this team is going to the NCAA tournament, I will feel ecstatic. I will be elated if I'm wrong. But right now, I just this game just to me felt like it's a reality check for the Red Storm that, you know, if they can get to, to six in the conference and remain over 500, I, I, I think that would be a win at this point. They had a very, very strong non-conference, and the talent is there. And that's, that's I think, is the frustrating thing, is that they gave us the hope this season, at least. But it's, it's not over yet, and I'm not going to get into all that. But they did give us the hope, beating West Virginia, beating Arizona. So we know that they can do it. It's just through three games in the Big East, we haven't seen it yet. And that's the problem. We know that they can do it because we've seen them do it in the non-conference against West Virginia and against Arizona. The problem is, though, we just haven't seen it yet in the Big East, and we need to start seeing it in the Big East, and we need to start seeing it fast, or else this is going to snowball into something really out of control for the Red Storm, something that could, you know, lend itself towards uh, Chris Mullins' first season. And I hope that, again, I hope that I'm wrong with that. But 
we'll see where it goes. Like I said, they need to get a win against DePaul. That is that is that is absolutely now a must-win uh, game for them. But I, I think that expectations do have to shift a little bit now, seeing how they just got blown out in that game. And I understand it might be an off night for them, but I think expectations have to shift just a little bit now to go from NCAA tournament to let's just try to win six in in the conference you know let's just try to get to over 500 in the conference you know and that's not that we overrated this team because this team looked very very good to start the season and and very very good two weeks ago so I don't think that we overrated this team I just think that they were playing a little bit above their talent level and when they don't have anyone that can hit an outside shot and when their two best players are combined 10 of 33 from the field and Mustafa Heron is 2 of 10 from the field and 0 of 5 from three-point range and can't seem to do anything. And I know it's his second game back from injury, but can't seem to do anything. It's going to be a mess, and that's what it's been so far for the Red Storm. It's been a mess to start conference play. Uh, I wasn't too concerned after the Xavier loss. I, I am very concerned now after this loss and just the way that they were just run out of the court in the first half. But we'll see where it goes from here. The sky is not completely fallen just yet. It may be falling, but I don't think it's fallen just yet. There is still a little bit of hope that they can turn this thing around, and uh, and we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, the actual performances, Figueroa had 23 points, but uh, he, he needed 23 shots to get there. Uh, Rasheem Dunn had a relatively good game, shot 5 of 12, had 18 points, and uh, went 7 of of 9 from the free throw line as well, and grabbed 9 rebounds. Uh, I thought Marcellus Erlington played well as well. He was kind of instrumental in making this a game, Uh, had 8 points, and grabbed uh, grabbed 6 rebounds as well, so we'll see. And, and, you know, for those those trying, one more point uh, before we get to our interview, I'm going to have John Cavanaugh on. Who uh, Johnny Cavs seems to always be coming on after these these frustrating losses. Uh, one more point about about the loss. For those who who feel like who feel like this is excused because you know they were underdogs in this game and they have been underdogs in all three games so far and two of those games have been on the road. The problem with that line of thinking is they're going to be underdogs in a lot of games this season in Big East play. They're going to be underdogs in every road game that they play from here on out and most home games. You know, the only games they're probably going to be favored, they might be favored against DePaul at home. And who else are they going to... At Georgetown, maybe they'll be favored at home against. Maybe Xavier. Maybe That's probably it, though. So they're going to be maybe favored in, in three, four, five games, maybe, in the conference going forward. So to say that this is okay just because they, they've lost a couple of games that they were not expected to win, well, they're not going to be expected to win very many games at all by the odds makers. So that line of thinking, I don't know. I haven't seen anyone saying that, but just if anyone does say that, that's my rebuttal. That is, they're not going to be favored in very many games. But like I said, the sky hasn't completely fallen yet. It may be falling, but I don't think it's completely fallen in on this program yet. I have confidence that Mike Anderson will not let this snowball into a Chris Mullen first year 1-17. and the Big East is very, very tough this season, but I have I have confidence that this team can at least have a respectful year in the Big East, and I think that should be the goal now. Let's just have a respectful six, maybe seven, but let's just try to get to I think a six-win plateau in the in the Big East uh, this season. But let's get to our interview now with uh, with John Cavanaugh. 
he always does a great job, and uh, and uh, unfortunately he keeps coming on after these these frustrating, terrible losses. But uh, but let's kick it to our interview now with John Cavanaugh. All right, I'm now joined once again by John Cavanaugh. He comes on yet again after a, a disappointing, disheartening, embarrassing, some may say, loss. John, if you weren't so good at this, and if you weren't such a valued member of this program, you would have been off like months ago. I'm just saying that right now. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I've done a lot of these losing recaps right now. I've got it down to a science, so <laughs> uh, looking forward to another one tonight. Tonight's a real doozy. Yeah, we, we almost don't even have to do this one. We can just replay. I think the one that you were on from Providence last year, we can just replay that one if you want. Yeah, just plug in Georgetown for Providence and you're all set there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just re-record it. <laughs> um, all right, so I mean, 21-point loss for St. John's. Fell behind by 29 in the first half, trailed by 27. Uh, we were talking a little bit off-air. It felt like this was the first game where the effort wasn't really there for St. John's. Overall, though, your thoughts uh, on tonight's game? Yeah, this was the first game I was really disappointed in St. John's. You know, they look, they have their clear deficiencies on offense. Uh, they, they don't have many guys that can score the basketball consistently except Figueroa, but I, what I will say is this, this is the first game where I really said to myself, yeah, they don't even belong on the same court. I mean, Xavier was a competitive loss. The Butler loss was something to hang your hat on. I mean, Butler's rice is now six in the country, and they were actually leading at one point. They were down like 23. Mm-hmm. But today, they just were not in this game at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and effort was a big part of that. And post-game, uh, Mike Anderson said that he benched uh, Champagne and I think Roberts as well for lack of effort. So just a very uncharacteristic performance uh, for a team that what they lack in talent, they make for they make up for in effort. Mm-hmm. And it's just not something you see. I mean, they're not—they're a team with clear deficiencies. But to get beat by a team that plays a seven-man rotation for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. uh, for and a team like Georgetown that's not really uh, that talented in their own right to, to beat down forty-five. What was it, nineteen, yeah, whatever? Yeah. At one point, that's just absolutely embarrassing for all involved. Absolutely, and the the lack of effort was definitely uncharacteristic. The lack of perimeter shooting, though, was absolutely uh, characteristic for this team just so far. I mean, how concerning is it? Because they can't hit a jump shot right now. And and, and Figueroa and Heron are, are obviously the two biggest culprits of that. Uh, they were 4 of nine or four of 16 from three-point range, 10 of 33 from the field. Neither one of them feels like they have any sort of, of semblance of a jump shot right now. And it's really, I feel like it's bleeding over into the rest of the team, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think that, look, this wasn't a, a team constructed that was going to be a strong perimeter shooting team. Uh-huh. But you have to think to yourself, they have to be somewhat better than this. Um, and, look, Figueroa, uh, you can give him kind of a pass because teams are going to pay extra attention to him at 23 tonight. And he really is the only guy that can put the ball in the hoop on a consistent basis for St. John's. He really is the go-to guy offensively. So, you know, it, it can kind of be excused a little bit considering teams are going to, uh, you know, give extra attention to him. But mm. just it, this is going to be a season-long problem. 
there's not been even in non-conference yeah, play, uh-huh. it's weaker competition. There's not been one reason for me to believe that this, the shots just aren't falling because of bad luck or because of an off night. This is a team that just really can't shoot. Mm-hmm. They're a team that's going to have to rely on transition baskets. Uh, Georgetown did a good job of not allowing St. John's to get that going tonight. Again, lack of energy an issue. Uh, and this is a team that's going to have to just get to the rim uh, to score points. And when they can't do that, they really don't have an answer. Uh, mm-hmm. And the lack of the jump shot is really going to be the downfall to them this season. When when you're in transition, you can't hit a wide-open three. Or, you know, you're down. Uh, they got it to 14-13 at one yep. point. And, uh, when you can't hit an open three to cut that lead and get your team going, it really comes back to hurt you, especially in today's game where the three ball is necessary. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I want to say that it is, you know, a couple of guys are struggling, but I really just think that the construction of this team is just going to prevent them from even being average per, uh, with premier shooting. It really is not, I don't see it getting any better. Yeah, exactly. It's been that way all season long, like you said. Even even against these kind of cupcake schools, they haven't they haven't uh, shot well. My my problem though in that first half was was when you know that you're not a good three-point shooting team or you know that you're not just a good perimeter shooting team in general especially with how they struggled so mightily in that Xavier game from shooting behind the arc to play that far away from the basket and to let Georgetown force you that far out onto the perimeter I I didn't like the game plan going in on offense of, of almost letting Georgetown force them on the perimeter it felt like the entire offense was was you know outside of the three-point line at least in the first half yeah, and Mike Anderson against at post game that he takes the blame for this loss. He didn't have his team prepared to yeah. play. I wonder if that you know kind of plays a part in that. Where, mm-hmm. where you kind of just criticize the game plan, or maybe he's taking the heat off of his players a little bit. But yeah, no, you're 100 right. I mean, there was really that that's effort. That's that is definitely game plan of just getting to the basket. I mean, they were settling for really low percentage shots. I mean, I know Georgetown was really hitting everything they took, but still, it. St. John's was settling for just really bad shots, and that's not something a team with little offensive talent can afford. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think that's definitely a problem. Yeah, exactly. And the not forcing turnovers as well. Uh, we saw that a little bit in the second half against Xavier. But, I mean, this team, we're seeing it now. They're going to need to force turnovers and get out in transition to win games, really, it seems like. Uh, Georgetown did, as you said, Georgetown did a good job uh, keeping the ball out of St. John's hands, especially in transition. But, uh, I mean, I would have liked to see a little bit more active hands on the defensive end. It just felt like Georgetown was, you know, almost confident passing the ball uh, across the top of the key and stuff like that. Just felt like they, they didn't have any sort of momentum on the defensive end at all really from the jump maybe because they just played a game two days ago but it just felt like the defensive intensity at least enforcing turnovers wasn't there in the first half absolutely Georgetown was way too confident and I think the fact that look they with seven guys suiting up for Georgetown you know you defensively you know for a team like St. John's that prides themselves on playing you know, 10 guys at night, 12 guys at night, or whatever it is, but for a team to only be able to really play a lineup of seven guys, and, 
you know, for, and St. John's likes to pressure the basketball. They like to force turnovers. I really thought coming into tonight, this was a good matchup for them. Yeah, that they mm-hmm. were going to get Georgetown winded, uh, you know, by the late, by the end of the first half and the second half. They were going to continue to pressure them, force them into turnovers. But it was St. John's that I think had nine turnovers fairly quickly in that first half. Yeah. And they almost had the same amount of turnovers as points. I mean, that's just, <laughs> again, it's not, it's usually the other way around. But tonight, for some reason, it was St. John's turning the ball over, which is just, to me, again, not acceptable. You have to be able to pressure a shorthanded Georgetown team uh, into turnovers, especially when that's your main point of attack. I mean, that's just, to me, didn't really add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the, the depth, and that was something that I was looking forward to as well, was knowing that Georgetown plays such a limited rotation because of all the, the, the departures that they had earlier in the season, knowing that St. John's, even without Greg Williams, was probably going to play 10 guys tonight. I almost felt like if you were going to you know, pressure, this is the game to really you know put the pressure on, and even if you pick up a couple of cheap fouls early on in the game, that's okay because you have such an advantage in the, in the depth department that it wouldn't have mattered as much. They we're putting the pressure on, but this just feels like a game where where Georgetown's lack of depth really never even came into play, you know? Exactly. I mean, I the league got so big, I mean, it was going to be hard to lose. Yeah, it didn't matter. But, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I mean, you saw that at the end, Georgetown was getting winded. They, they were up by a decent-sized margin in the last few minutes, and they were kind of putting up shots really quickly in the clock when they really just had to hold it. So you could tell that they were definitely getting winded, but... That really should have been the case from the get-go. I, like, I totally agree. Just to reinforce that point, when you are a team that you know pressures full court sometimes like St. John's, I'm just not sure why they really couldn't take advantage of that short bench. And I think just one more area to focus on is Mustafa Heron yeah. shooting 2 for 12 tonight from the field. Mm-hmm. And his struggles, you know, we, St. John's doesn't have a number one option. So when Figueroa is uh, the main point, the main focal point of the offense, and Mustafa Heron was supposed to be the one-two punch kind of, Mm -hmm. he just hasn't been that all year. Mm -hmm. He's really been struggling. Two for 12, but it's become characteristic for him. He really doesn't have a three ball anymore. He doesn't get to, he cannot get to the rim, can't penetrate. Kind of seems like maybe there's a strength issue there. I know he was coming off an injury, but this has kind of been a story all season for him. So when when you have one of your main stars performing really, really below par, it's for a team like St. John's, I know they have depth, but they really need his star power to shine through. And ever since really he's come to Queens, he hasn't shown it, but this year especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that depth kind of gets negated when, when, you know, eight of those 10 guys really aren't a threat to score or not eight of 10, but you know, six, seven of them aren't really a threat to score. The depth time kind of gets negated. Um, we were, we were talking a little bit off air about, about Heron and Figueroa and, you know, them being maybe more of a, of an option two and three or an option three and four, as opposed to this year being that one and two option. I, it's tough to always to criticize college kids. They are just college kids. But does it feel to you like these guys just aren't cut out to be the one and the two option in this offense, especially when there really isn't a whole lot of scoring to go around next to them? Does it feel like to you that they're not really fit to be the number one and the number two off, uh, option in this offense? Well, I'll tell you what, it does make me appreciate Shamori Pons a hell of a lot more. Absolutely. Um, I, think, yeah. I think that when you look at a guy like Pons, who sometimes had to take the the 
brunt of the workload, and he and he would do it. Uh, Nate's appreciate guys like that. I mean, obviously, look, last year's team they had a lot more scoring options. You know, Clark when he was firing away could hit can hit a three at any time. You know, they had Simon, but in terms of this year's team, you know. Heron last year was still kind of struggling. I think when he came over from Auburn, you know, he was averaging, um, you know, I think 18 to 20 points per game, and you figure that he was more than primed to take over in that kind of role. But and look, I, I don't like to criticize college kids because they are really working really hard. But it does have to be said that no, I mean, I would say neither are a number one option right now. They're just not that kind of takeover kind of type. You know, they don't have the handles that Pons had where he can just really kind of get to the rim or go one-on-one. You know, Harry really can't go one-on-one with someone. He doesn't really have the moves to do that. Yeah. He really has to start getting in a flow, and he just hasn't gotten in that flow. He's not someone that can really take over a game. Um, I mean, there's three-point shooting the last three games. Uh, in Butler, they were 4 22. Xavier, 1 16. I mean, for a team that you saw had a one-two punch, it kind of goes to show you they, they really don't have that true number one. Mm-hmm. Because if they did, a true number one would be putting up a lot more threes than that. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's the case. I do think that they have you know, uh, two guys right now that are good number twos on contending teams, uh, but they really don't have that focal point guy. And like I said, I thought Heron would play better with the departure of Pons, but it kind of shows show you that Pons took the pressure off a lot of these guys last year. Mm-hmm. And just to put a bow on this game before we, we get to kind of the the main part of the season, um, two guys that I, I thought played well, Rasheem Dunn and Marcellus Erlington. Erlington played well, I, I think, for really a, a third straight game. He had a nice game, eight points and six rebounds. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Dunn, though. 18 points, nine rebounds, shot five of 12, got to the free throw line nine times. Felt like if there was sort of an MVP for this game, which there isn't, if there was, it would be done. Felt like he was kind of putting his head down, getting to the basket, took some ill-advised shots, made some ill-advised plays, but that's just kind of the style that he plays, I think. He tries to make things happen. Sometimes he does a little bit too much. Uh, What do you think about his game tonight? You know, I'll live with that. I'll live with that kind of play, considering their lack of offense. I'll live with someone like Dunn, because Dunn can score. He can get to the rim. I mean, he was, I, I again, I know fatigue might have been a factor, but he was blown by Georgetown with pretty with ease, I'll say. Yeah. You know, he's someone that can really get to the rim. He, he can get a tad erratic, but he does draw a lot of fouls. He, he does score a lot, but he does score a lot of points. So I definitely think he's kind of been a bright spot. And he is someone that's always going to give 110%. Mm-hmm. I think he's shown that. I think Erlington showed that today. But Dunn especially, he's someone that when you need a basket, I almost give it to him at that point. And so in the West Virginia game, when St. John's needed uh, you know, needed that yeah. bucket, at the, I think that last possession, you know, they give the ball to him and just told him to go to the hoop, and he did. And then St. John's ended up knocking off West Virginia in the game. So he's and he and he can hit his free throws, yeah. which is not something that can be said for the rest of the <laughs> Absolutely. So he definitely brings a needed element that uh, they simply don't have elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at the the context of this season now: eleven and five overall, three game losing streak. But perhaps more importantly, three straight losses to open Big East play now. Zero and three. None of these games were they favored in. None of these games were they really, you know, at least by the the odds makers or you know the national media maybe were they coming in expected to win these games. But three losses. This one is is by far the worst, obviously. 
Like, do you reevaluate this season as all? I, I said in my open, it feels like a little bit of a reality check for this team. Just knowing that Georgetown's going to be, you would think, is going to be one of the lower, uh, you know, bottom half teams in this conference. Is it almost a reality check for this team? Do you reevaluate what your expectations are now going forward for this team? Absolutely. Um, and even for myself, I got, you know, when St. John's had those big wins, we all got ahead of ourselves a little bit, I think. And look, they're a team that is, to, to play kind of the positivity role here, which I didn't plan on doing, but I'm going to do it a little bit. <laughs> they, they are a team in transition. They are a team that lost pretty much the bulk of their offensive production from last season. Um, they play a deep bench because they don't have a lot of firepower. You know, they play hard. This is this is still a team in transition. Uh, a first-year coach in Mike Anderson who hasn't really brought in any of his guys yet. He inherited a roster, like I just said, that really isn't uh, crazy talented. So I think that we all had to kind of say to ourselves, yes, we have a great coach that doesn't change even after tonight's performance. Yep. Um, and we, have, we should trust him still. Nothing should really take us off that plan. It really isn't about this year. I think it's about setting that culture, you know, focusing on the work ethic, doing the right things, and it's about kind of starting that wave of St. John's basketball that Mike Anderson is going to bring. And I think they've done a good job for the most part. Now, that being said, look, they are 0-3 in the Big East. Uh, I did, We all did kind of have high hopes after non-conference with West Virginia, Arizona. That loss to Butler was really a killer. Yeah. If they... they being coming back from that far down, getting up in the last few minutes, Butler's now ranked sixth in the country. That could have been a really, really big win. If they were one and two right now with that win against Butler, they'd be in a lot better shape. Absolutely. Own three in Big East play. Realistically, if they want to have any shot of being a factor down the line, Saturday has become a must-win for them. Yep. I don't think they can go 0-4 in the Big East uh, after losing to DePaul on their home floor. So if if they lose on Saturday, look, I'm trying to keep expectations in check. I don't really expect much out of them. This was a reality check. This reminds us that it really they're not a tournament team. They shouldn't even be in the tournament discussion. They don't have the talent for that, but... You know, based on how they started the year, if they want to be Saturday has to be a must-win. And, you know, two tough losses, especially that first one. Tonight was a big game. They dropped the ball. They're going to need to win on Saturday if they want mm-hmm. to stay alive. No, absolutely, and that's, that's a really good point that you made. You know, th- this loss tonight, and, and really no matter how this season goes in the Big East, it is still kind of a rebuilding uh, effort for this team. It doesn't change the fact that Mike Anderson is a very, very good coach, as you mentioned. It doesn't change the fact that Mike Anderson is going to come in here and change the culture, I, I, I think. So, you know, this loss tonight, while it's disheartening, while it is a reality check, doesn't change the fact that I think that they are still on the right path under Mike Anderson. Yeah, I mean, look, look at what was said before the season started. Pretty much all St. John's Twitter, all St. John's fans were in unison. The Big East is loaded this year, and St. John's isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the thing, is the Big East is really stacked this year from top to bottom. There's not one team that's a rollover. And, you know, some of the top teams, I mean, the Big East has, I think, six teams in the top 50 in net right now. Um, I could be wrong about that, but of course, I mean... Mm-hmm. It's a very competitive conference, and St. John's happens to be um, with their worst roster in a little bit. So I think, again, that has to be reminded that we were all kind of in agreement this was going to be kind of a a year that they were going to take the bumps. And we have to be reminded of that tonight is just a part, part of the process. 
And again, the only thing I didn't like to see was lack of effort yep. from some guys. But it is a young team, and I, I think that you're going to have that sometimes on the road young players. Mm, absolutely. You hate to say it, but at some point you just got to trust the process, you know? Yeah, you do, but when when a coach like Mike Anderson comes in who hasn't had a losing season, uh, you know, since he started coaching, I think when that's the case, you have to really just trust him. Trust him a little Absolutely. Well, John, I, I guess that we'll have you on again because you, you just seem to do such a good job on these that, that even in a disappointing effort, it, it would be hard for me to ban you from this podcast forever. Sure, look, I'm a Jets fan. I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I've gotten used to this kind of disappointment, so just understand that I'm ready. I'm always ready. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure. I'll make sure to keep that in mind the next time that I have you on. All right, man. Well, well, thank you again for coming on and and at least at least bringing bringing my night up a little bit, knowing that I got to speak with you. So thank you for that, my friend. Hey Troy, always a pleasure being on. Thanks for having me, and uh, let's go, Johnny's. All right, well, well, we'll talk soon, hopefully, and hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be positive. All right. Yeah, absolutely, Troy. <laughs> all right, talk soon, man. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you again to our our bad luck charm, John Cavanaugh there, who, as I mentioned before, if he wasn't such a good guest and if he wasn't so good at uh, at coming on and breaking down these games, especially right after they end, usually he's uh, he's one of those guys. If he if he wasn't so good at that, I probably would not be having him on anymore because it seems like every time that I have him on, it's it's not only a loss but it's an embarrassing loss and it's a it's a disappointing loss and it's it seems like kind of a season altering loss. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can have John on later in the season, and hopefully we'll have him on after a win. So uh, we'll, we'll see, though. But thank you, as always, to John for for coming on. He does an outstanding job, as always, and I really appreciate. It. He's one of the one of the uh, older members of this of this podcast as well. So I always appreciate him coming on. But uh, yeah, just to put a bow on this episode, I mean, listen, it, it is a reality check, I think, for this team, and I, I, that's kind of been the word of the day reality or the phrase of the day reality check but i think that's the case here is that it's time to to just review our expectations for this team and like i said if i'm wrong about this and if a month from now or two months from now i turn out to be totally wrong about this i will be very very happy because that means this team is probably in the ncaa tournament but just looking three games in it seems like it's going to be hard for this team to win very many games on the road because Georgetown in a half-empty Verizon Center, or I think it's Capital One Center maybe, Georgetown in a half-empty NBA arena is probably the easiest it's going to be in terms of getting a road win in this conference. You know, a game in front of no one at 6.30 p.m. on a Wednesday night in D.C. is probably going to be the easiest environment that they play in all season long. So... If they were blown out by 20 in that game, it, it's going to be tough. Just going off that, it's going to be tough to win very many. They're going to have to play a near-perfect game to win very many road games. And at home, I mean, you know, Villanova, Seton Hall, Creighton, but, or they played Butler already, but, you know, like it, it's going to be tough in this conference. There's no easy games in this conference. And like I said, I think it's just, it's just time to reevaluate our expectations for this team. NCAA tournament. The hopes for for about a month were really, really fun, but at this point, I think it's time to look and say, 
NIT would be very, very successful. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm overreacting here, but just what I've seen three games in, that's what it seems like to me. Let's let's go for a couple wins in the conference now. But this was a, like I said, I'm going to go back to that phrase again. This was a reality check for me and for, I, I think, a lot of fans as well, that this team is just not there yet. As Mr. Kavanaugh mentioned, they just they don't have the talent, I don't think. Their top guys have not really been top guys, at least in conference play, in LJ Figueroa and in Mustafa Heron. And the supporting cast, at least on the offensive end, hasn't really delivered uh, very much at all besides really Rasheem Dunn and in spurts Marcellus Erlington as well. So with all that considered, reevaluate expectations. Let's have fun this season. As I said to John, the culture is still being built. And, you know, Mike Anderson is still a hell of a basketball coach. And if all things go well this season, hopefully he'll still be over 500 and he'll keep that intact. And the culture, though, is still being built in this program. And I think that changes are still among the way. And I don't think it's crazy to think that this team is a top 25 team, you know, two years from now. It may be even a year from now they're a top 25 team. But I think I'm still confident in Mike Anderson, but at least for this season at least for the next 15 games or so, I think it's okay to temper expectations and to say that's what this team is, is a maybe a six-win team in the conference, and I keep it. I think that's fine. I'm still very confident in Mike Anderson. I'm still very confident in the future of this program. Tonight doesn't change that. Sunday night didn't change that. If they lose to DePaul on, on Saturday at the Garden in a game that I'll be there, that won't change that, so we'll see. But, yeah, looking ahead now, uh, we we're going to have – I'll probably do a periscope on Saturday, win or lose. I will be at the game, but uh, on my way home, I'll probably do a little a little 10-minute periscope. You can check those out, as always, on Twitter, at Troy Moriello. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a show out next week, probably after the Providence game. And we will uh, we'll see where we go from there. But right now, St. John's 11-5, three-game losing streak, 0-3 to open Big East play. Not ideal. And I think DePaul really, for whatever you want to do this season, even if you want to get to six wins this season, as I just laid out, DePaul really becomes a must-win now. So we will see on uh, on Saturday. That's the next time we'll talk to everyone. But thank you, everyone for, everyone, for listening. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week, the rest of their Wednesday night or Thursday morning or Friday morning, whatever you listen to this. And as always, let's go, Johnnies.